0: Right, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 20, and we're going to be covering a story that uh, might be somewhat familiar to you. It's the birth of Jesus. Um, a lot of us, whether you're religious or not, grew up in church or not, you've probably heard about this God-man named Jesus who was born in this little town at some point. And if you haven't heard the story, this is a great day to be here. Uh, we're going to walk through Luke 2, verses 1 through 20 um, very specifically and kind of look at some of the details and the nuances of it, so it's going to be good. Um, To catch us up, though, we skipped a chapter. We skipped Luke chapter 1. And just to give you a brief big picture highlight of what Luke 1 was, um, there's this uh, girl, woman named Mary. She is engaged to this hunk of a man named Joseph. They're in love. They're looking forward to—I have no idea what Joseph looked like. There's nothing in the Bible, but we'll assume. Um, So uh, they are looking forward to marriage. And then plans sort of get disrupted. Uh, This angel visits Mary— and, and tells her, hey, you know the promised one, the Messiah, there's this Savior that's been promised for, for hundreds of years, thousands of years, uh, to come and save the world from their sins. You're going to bear that child. And, Jesus, and Mary's like, you know, oh, okay, cool, casual, Like, let's do that. All right, let me carry the, the, the Messiah, the Savior of the world in, in my little belly, all right? And what's crazy is she's going to have a, a virgin birth, so there's this like miraculous moment. And that's kind of where we're interrupting in Luke. So we're going to read Luke 2, 1 through 20, um, and then we'll, we'll get into it. All right. In those days, oh, if you're using one of our blue Bibles, it's page 500. I'm so sorry. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. and seen uh, as it had been told to them. So, okay, here's what we're gonna do. So when I read anything, um, I'm not being funny here, I am a very slow learner. That's a really kind way of putting the way I view myself and my learning ability, okay? So when I read things, I literally don't know what just happened. Like I'll just read it and go, all right, I don't know what happened. I gotta go back through with the highlighter, uh, write some notes, and then sometimes if I'm by myself, I will speak out loud what I just read so I can verbally process it because it helps me learn you are all welcome into this learning process because that's what we're about to do, all right? So uh, we just read Luke 2, 1 through 20. It's a story familiar to us, but I'm gonna walk through what we just read all over again and kind of give some details that I think are helpful and kind of make the story uh, come alive. So let's start with verse one. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus uh, that all of the world should be registered. So there's this moment where uh, Caesar Augustus, the guy that sort of started the Roman Empire, if you're into that kind of thing. Big, big moment in world history, right? Um, he takes this census, okay? So he's going to um, take a gathering of people. All this means is that everyone has to return to their hometown, kind of give their tally so they can pay taxes to the government, okay? So what this means for Mary and Joseph, Mary who has little baby Jesus in her belly, okay? They're in Nazareth when this happens. Um, they have to return to their hometown, which is called Bethlehem, all right, so i looked this up. They had to travel 69 miles, all right? And they did not have vehicles, all right? All they had was a donkey or maybe even walking. So just imagine uh, Mary, who is pregnant, traveling this long distance to this town. So it's a pretty surreal uh, travel with that kind of burden in your belly. So um, we're not sure how long they're in Bethlehem before Jesus is born, um, but they're there for some time. And then next, what's it going to say? That Jesus is born, and because there's no room for him in the inn— they're going to lay Jesus in a manger, all right? And I, and I found something really interesting when I was studying this. So for the longest time, when I was studying that Jesus uh, had no room in the inn for him, I always pictured Mary and Joseph sort of going and knocking at random doors and being like, uh, hey, I'm pregnant, you know, this is my husband, we need a place to stay. And then some mad innkeeper saying, no, we don't have room for your type, like you better keep going. Did anyone else have any kind of picture like that? I don't know. Uh, so that's what I did, and I, you know, then they had to go to some random cave, and like, sleep at, And then you teach this really cheesy teaching of, is there room in your inn for Jesus? You know, like <laughs> That'd be kind of like the home run hit, right? That was my plan, uh, and then studying <laughs> ruined everything, because here's the truth of the matter. The word used for in right here um, is actually uh, better translated like a guest room or house. And Bethlehem was this small town along the Roman, uh, that had, sorry, the major Roman roads didn't even travel beside. Um, so the, the thought of them having like a major inn for people to stay is really unlikely. Um, there's a high, it's highly likely that these people, uh, Mary and Joseph, were just staying with family and friends, like pretty casual stuff. So just picture like, what was your Thanksgiving like? If you were with family in a packed room, that's, that's kind of what was happening here, okay? So um, everyone's in this really packed house and this is kind of how the house was set up. There was an upper level where all the people would hang out, and then the lower level is where they kept all their animals, like any kind of livestock to like feed their family, okay? And so everyone's there, uh, the room's really full, and Mary's got this newborn baby. And so it wasn't this moment where hard hearts were like, we don't have room for your child. It was like, no, literally, like, you can't put him on the counter. There's casseroles everywhere, right? There's like, he can't go on the couch, that's where auntie what's a good auntie name? I don't know. And uncle and great-grandpa, they're all there. You know, literally, we've got no room for him. He's going to have to go somewhere else. And the surprising part about this story isn't that. So if first century readers read that there wasn't room for Jesus, that would make sense, right? A lot of people are in this house. Uh, There's probably just, it's just packed. Um, But the surprising part comes when it says they laid him in a manger, all right? So a manger is literally like a, a feeding trough, okay? So A good parallel would be, um, you know, you're at my house, you've just had a baby, uh, all the females, you just had a baby, okay, and I'm like, hey, there's no room for your baby, but I've got a dog bowl, it's extra big, it's downstairs, it can stay there. And that sounds funny, but I'm actually not making a joke right now. Um, That is very much what is taking place. Like, you can go put your baby in the place where we feed the animals, like where they slobber and drool and germs and all that's there, and it's just this amazing picture Jesus the promised one king of kings right holiest of holy like perfect comes to earth and the first place that this little baby lays is a manger a really gross scene we have cute nativity scenes right to show where Jesus laid in the nice little hay and he's glowing it wasn't I I don't think this was cute like I think it was kind of gross right I think that speaks volumes, and we'll get to this more later, but about a king who is willing to come to the earth this way and and what that means for us. But let's keep moving through the story. So this happens. He's in the manger. Let's look at what happens next. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. So there's these shepherds in this little town called Bethlehem, and they're sitting on the outskirts uh, watching some sheep. Um, and then an angel appears out of nowhere, and they're filled with fear. And I don't know why, uh, any time that I've been in my room and a cosmic being showed up out of nowhere, I totally kept my cool. I was like, oh, I <laughs> was waiting on you, right? No, that would be so terrifying. You know, we read this as a distant story, but just imagine you're watching some sheep and then bam, you know, angel from heaven. He says, fear not. And then there's this moment where uh, the, the shepherds are first to receive the news that the Messiah has come that the Son of God has come. And this is really significant, because shepherds in this day um, were sort of just, just to put it plainly, seen as stupid. Like they dropped out of, relig- like of, of church or like religious school. Uh, they weren't good at any trade, so they just watched some sheep for a living. That's kind of how society viewed them. And, and even the religious people uh, viewed the uh, shepherds as ceremonially unclean, So really, they weren't even deemed worthy to enter into uh, the presence of God. And yet it's these people that the angels are going to show up to first and say, there's great news, like, peace be with you, the Messiah has come. Let me tell you where he is. It's this beautiful picture. And then, so the shepherds hear this, um, they're going to move with haste, right? They're going to hurry. They're going to see the angels and say, okay, I know we got a bunch of sheep to take care of. We can't help that. We've got to go. These angels seem important, right? So they go and they travel to Bethlehem and they go start knocking on doors. I guess there's not a lot of detail on what this process looked like. I know that GPS and directions weren't exactly existing at this point. Um, so all I know is the Lord said, go to this house, right? And so I started having fun with this and just picturing uh, what this story looked like. Because I want us to notice the, the order of the text. Um, let me find it. Hold on. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them. So only after they saw Jesus did they say, look. So I just kind of pictured this in my head. I was like, so they're like knocking on doors. And then Mary and Joseph come to the door. And they're like, hey, we're shepherds. Uh, is there a baby here? And Mary and Joseph are like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, his name's Jesus. He's lying in the manger. Okay, okay, look, we already knew. Like an angel, this is gonna sound crazy. An angel appeared in the sky, all right? And then like 10,000 others, and they started singing to us. And it told us that the savior of the world was here. This is happening. This is real. We're not crazy, you know? What did that look like? Like, I don't want this to stay like some far off story. Just picture you're born, and you're you're three days old in the living room, like sleeping, like, and your parents hear a knock on the door. And I show up, and I'm like, hey, I've been cleaning up trash off the highway off some judge-ordered community service and an angel showed up to me on the interstate and said to come to your house because your child was born and this is super special. That is crazy. That is actually what is happening right here. And it says that all the people, they wonder at this. They're filled with wonder. And I just picture these people who have believed in God for a long time, like their parents believed in God, dragged them to church. God had been instilled in them. But then this moment happens, and God becomes more real. You ever had a moment like that? It's like, I've always believed in God, but then that happened. And I was like, okay, I think God's for real. Like, I've always thought it, but now I really think it, you know? And that's kind of what happens here. And then it says that Mary ponders all of this in their heart, And then the shepherds leave, and they're praising God. And I love this contrast, because what once was shepherds, like, in fear at the angel showing up, now they've listened to the words of God, been guided by God, and they leave praising God. And Mary just gets to ponder all of this. It's like the truth of God is, is just reigning over their lives. And that's kind of the, the picture I wanted to give you of the story. I hope it just became more real to you. But next is kind of the question we ask. All right, so we have this story of Jesus being born. We've all probably heard it. But why is it important? And under this umbrella of peace, um, why is this conversation important? Why does it matter why is it important that Jesus came as a baby and, and laid in a manger? Uh, what does it mean? that? Why do we get to take peace from this situation? And as I was thinking over this, and literally as uh, Larkin and I and um, someone else were praying at a teaching meeting on Thursday, I just kind of had three uh, main like, points to, t- to take away from this. It'll take like eight minutes. But if you write, take notes, this is kind of your time, okay? So um, the first question I want to answer is why. Like, why did Jesus come? Like, what's going on there? Why, why is that important? And the second one would be who? Like, who did he come for? All right, so after the first point, you see it's important, but also, who is this for? And the third thing I want to look at is how. Pay attention to how Jesus went about his life and why that's important for us if we believe in Jesus, okay? Um, so, first things first. Why? Why did Jesus come? So, look in verse 11. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, Jesus came as Savior. And that really struck me this week. I was talking to Brandon Steele, one of our teaching pastors, and I was like, what are you going to teach you? I'm like, what's in your heart? And he was like, the fact that Jesus is Savior. And I was like, okay, yeah, everyone knows that, Brandon. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Obviously, he's Savior of the world. Uh, But then it hit me. I was like, oh, shoot, that is the most important thing. Like, Jesus came to save the world. A world that needed saving. Like a lot of us, we read that and, and in our heads we suddenly go, Jesus came as a moral teacher or someone to really bring me comfort or help me along in this life. But no, the angel said he came as a savior to a world that really actually needed saving. From what? Sin. Like very real practical sin separating us from, uh, from the Father, from perfection. Like if God shows up and we're stuck without Jesus, like that's trouble, Right? And I know this is kind of old news to some of us, but I was like, man, that's so beautiful. And I looked at this passage in Colossians 1, 19 through 22. It says, For in him, in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All things were reconciled to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. We were once alienated and hostile in mind, but he is reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. This is why Jesus came. Like without Jesus, there's this separation. There's this hostility that we actually can't do anything about. But because Jesus came, he has made peace through his blood. And this is the very beginning of that story of Jesus coming down to save our great news that he came. And then the next question, so why he came to save like from actual sin, real thing. And then who? And this is when I want to revisit the shepherds. So we see from the very beginning of Jesus' life, before he's even talking, he's already teaching just mad lessons. Like he's already showing so much about his character. He comes to the shepherds, the angels reveal themselves to the shepherds first. And who are the shepherds? Like, honestly, if we're just speaking truth, they're the nobodies, they're the marginalized, they're the overlooked. They're the ones that cry out to their government and the government will hear none of it. Like, that's who they are. And Jesus comes and says, I'm here and I'm here with you and I'm for you. And you're not a plus one, you're a guest of honor. Like, why don't you come and see me first? And I started thinking about Jesus' life, how he lived. Because, one, he definitely, the spiritual implications are insane, right? He came to save us from sin. But also, just practically, he came to be with those we aren't comfortable being with. He came to totally disrupt the cultural hierarchy that we live in, right? I pay attention to his life, and I start thinking about, you know, who he whined and dined with. He hung out with people that the most religious, the most obedient were like, Jesus, do you understand who you're with? We don't like them. They make us look bad. We don't like you. You make us look bad. You're totally ignorant to what God's law says, Right? Jesus hanging out with the tax collectors who had ripped everybody and their mother off, right? Jesus with them. You want to come to my house? Let's get dinner. Let's hang, right? The adulterer ready to stone her. Go and sin no more. Like anyone without sin, you cast the first stone, right? Jesus immediately shows like whoever society is ready to cast out first, I'm ready to tell my good news to right now. And then I look at the spiritual implications of it as well. The shepherds seen as ceremonially unclean would be very uncomfortable around the religious people. Right? Like the religious would kind of like see him, maybe try to give a nice head nod, and then pretend to be having a conversation with someone else. Right? But Jesus came for them. And the shepherds probably had seen themselves as dirty, unworthy to be in the presence of God. Like uh, being a Christian was not synonymous with being a shepherd. Right? And some of us feel that way. I related to the shepherds this week. Like what it feels like to do things that make you feel dirty, that society kind of turns its head at, that people kind of abandon you because you're in such a a mess that you can't get out of yourself. And it's hard to even start a conversation with God. Like, Like what would I talk to a perfect God about? If God shows up right now, it's going to be awkward. Like if he comes to my house, I'm like, oh my gosh, I wasn't ready. I wish I was dressed better. I wish I hadn't done everything that I've done the past week. Like this is terrible, right? And yet God comes and says, peace, I'm here for you. Like, you're in. It's like you out here in the actual chairs in Hillsborough, like real people, if you're, um, if you're marginalized, if you're on the outside of society, or if you've come here and you feel, social, or you feel spiritually just absent, far from God, like you can't even start a prayer to a holy and perfect God. It's like, this is for you. God is for you. And I think sometimes I feel like I can kind of sneak in behind a really good Christian, like, yeah, he loves me. Can you love me too? You know, no, God's like, I love you. I created you. I've given you a purpose. That's what we see here in the shepherds. So that's who he's come for. Now I want to get to the how. How did Jesus come? Because I think this is also super important. So I'm thinking, uh, uh, specifically, I was thinking about our culture and why it's important that Jesus came in the fashion that he came, right? He, he comes in this manger. Like, I, I don't know what the Jews were anticipating when they heard the Messiah was coming, or when they had read the prophecies, I promise you they didn't picture a manger. That's not like what they had in mind. They, they probably saw a guy born of royalty coming to overthrow the Roman Empire to show his strength to dominate. And the start of Jesus' journey is in a manger, like lowliest, like, you know, the poorest of the poor don't have babies and put them in mangers. Like, that's crazy, right? And I started thinking about Jesus' life more And and started asking, what enabled Jesus to come in this kind of a fashion? I started thinking about him on the cross when he was being murdered, spit on, mocked, like people are yelling at him saying, prove yourself to be the Christ. And they're spitting, imagine this, spitting on Jesus. And Jesus' prayer in that moment is, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I was like, okay, how does that happen? How does that work? And the truth is, I think it's just a place of identity. When you are safe and secure as a child of the king, when you belong to God, and your mission, your purpose is to walk in this earth and lift others to the Father, there is no lowering you, right? There is no pride in self, right? The only hurt I feel is the hurt I feel for you if you don't know the goodness of God. That's why I'm here. That's why Jesus, I think, was able to do this. And I was just thinking for us, like, how does this hit Hillsboro Village? Like, how does this actually get to this room, leave theory behind, and get practical? And I started thinking about 12 South. And I started thinking about just like the comparison, like, in my own heart, this may not reach you. I, I hope it does, but it may not. I started thinking about when I get to comparing myself with people. Like when I'm scrolling down Instagram or something, you know, and I start kind of feeling insecure, like, man, I need to get in better shape, or I need to dress better, spend more money on clothes. Like, these people look beautiful, and their smiles are perfect, and I'm not that, right? And you you definitely don't know what I'm talking about. Um, No. Um, And I started thinking about just the culture at Belmont and Vanderbilt and all of our universities surrounding, like, just the competition, the tension of needing to succeed. Like you guys are trying to get in the right music industry. And if someone who's way worse than you gets the job before you, it's like that person's terrible. They're so tone deaf. And how did they get that? And I didn't, you know, it's like, there's all this pressure to succeed. Or like maybe you're at Vandy in the medical field and you're like, I need to get this job. I need to make these grades. And if I don't, like my value is contingent on my success. Right. But Jesus steps in and says, I came to serve and not be served. He finds his disciples, they're eating dinner, and he washes their feet. Like, what does this mean for us? How does Jesus being king speak into our identity? None of these things that culture puts on us attach to us. When Jesus is our king, when he is our savior, when it is our opportunity to step into the mission of God, to participate in bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, that is our identity as children of the king, right? Right? Hold on one second. Here we go. I think sometimes I confuse what peace is. I think we can accidentally make peace circumstantial, right? Like comfort. And I think it's so easy to forget that Jesus died, you know, that he was like crucified, and he resurrected, which is our hope. And the disciples, all of them, they had such peace, right? But their circumstances, if we're just shooting it straight, not really. Like, Paul shipwrecked like a thousand times. He was like a thousand. And he <laughs> Paul was beaten over and over again. Jesus was chased out of his own hometown as the threat of death. Like, man, the guys that we say really got it. Circumstantially, it wasn't great. If you are searching for peace in Jesus... Don't fall into the trap of searching outside of yourself, like the job, it all working out, uh, the rom-com being true in your own life. Yeah, like we met at this place and it was perfect and God was so over, you know. Like we we attach peace to so many things that God's like, I'm not into that. Like I'm into bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, to locking down your soul for all eternity. Are you in? Because I'm in if you're in and I want to walk with you. That's the inner peace that this conversation is about. So if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, Um, I'm betting my soul that he absolutely wants to give you peace, like forever. That if you feel unworthy, you're absolutely in. If you feel like an outcast, you're the first one on the list. I believe that. Um, And if you're here and you're a Christian, and you're struggling with stress or anxiety or frustration or you're scared or whatever it is, like take on the personality of Jesus, the character of Jesus. You are a child of the king. Swear like you're good, like Jesus has you. Um, And this world, you know, this life is super fast. Um, But what happens after is super long. So, um, I don't know. Praise the Lord for Jesus. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to take communion. I don't have very specific instructions for communion, but I would encourage you just to, uh, if you don't feel peace, uh, if this feels so abstract and and hard to reach out to, tell God. Like really, just seriously, like talk to God about it, like honestly. Um, Yeah, if you want to pray, I'll be in the back. Let's pray. God, thanks for this morning, um, for uh, just a great venue to come and, and meet in and worship and a roof over our heads to keep us dry from the rain as we sing to you and I pray for peace Lord I pray for um, a better understanding of peace I pray God that you would show us steps to take to step into peace like yeah um, I love you I know that you care about us I know that this world is broken and it's easy to confuse that with you not caring um I pray, God, that, uh, that this church right here would radiate peace in our community, that when everyone's shaken and running around frantically like what is happening, we stand still uh, because, Jesus, you are our rock. Like You do not shake. You do not move. Um, yeah, I love you, God. Uh, thanks for communion. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we take communion, just remember the, the cup and the bread, It's just the blood and the body of Jesus uh, poured out for you.